This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. And when it comes to the will of God, a person can have only one of three possible titles in life. There's only three titles. And a person has one of them. The first title, first possible title a person can have in life about the will of God is don't care. This is where a person says about the will of God, I don't care about God's will for my life. I don't care to find out what God's will is my, because I have no interest in doing God's will. I want to do my will, so I don't care. Sometimes a person with a don't care about God title just checks out of life altogether and just coast through life. There's no zeal, there's no enthusiasm. So you ask them, how's your job? It's fine, it's fine. It's the same as yesterday, no change. How's your relationship with your parents or your spouse? It's fine, it's fine, it's okay, it's okay, same. How's your relationship with God? It's fine, it's fine, the same. No joy, no joy in life, no thrill, no excitement, because they don't care. They checked out about the will of God in their lives and they have checked out and they're just coasting down the road with the, it's fine, it's okay. Same. That's the life title of don't care. And the second possible title that a person can have in life is quitter. This is where a person finds out what the will of God is for his life. He starts out to do the will of God, but then the way's too hard and the opposition's too tough and the the sense of being deprived is too strong and they just, Give up, quit. That's the life title of quitter. And the third possibility for a person is to have the title of finisher. Finisher. This is where a person finds out what the will of God is from surrendering himself to God, from resisting the world, from renewing his mind in the Bible, and then he makes the will of God his life work, and then he finishes the will of God. He's a finisher. And when a person has achieved all three goals of knowing the will of God for his life, doing the will of God in his life, and finishing the will of God in his life, then that person is ready to die. He's ready to die. That person will come to where Jesus Christ was in verses one and two, where Christ had finished and he was ready to die in two days. Just like Paul was ready to die in that treasured state of happiness and life fulfillment when he said in 2 Timothy 4, 5, 2 Timothy 4, 5, watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry, for I'm now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. 
I have fought a good faith. I have finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me at that day, and not to me only, but to all them that love is appearing. Those are the words of a man who found real happiness in life and real life fulfillment to be able to say at the end of his life in 2 Timothy 4, 6, 2 Timothy 4, 6, I'm now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. Paul's saying, I'm ready to die because of three words, found, fought, finished. I found God's will, I fought to do God's will, and I finished God's will. And what a tremendous sense of satisfaction filled Paul and that filled Jesus Christ when he said those words in John 19.30, John 19.30, he said, it's finished. No one can finish doing God's will unless they found God's will for their lives, unless they fought to do God's will in their lives. And this is how they come to finish God's will at the end of their lives. And when a person has finished God's will in their lives, he's ready to die. And God brings them to heaven to be with him as we see in Revelation 11.7, Revelation 11.7, which is future, Revelation 11.7, when they have finished, when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast ascendeth out of the bottomless pit to make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. When they shall have finished their testimony, the beast shall kill them. Their testimony is the work of God that's God going to give to them to proclaim on earth. The beast wants to kill them all the time. But as long as they will not have finished the work of proclaiming their testimony, the beast will not be able to kill them. As long as they will not have finished the work that God has given them to do, they will be indestructible. But as soon as they finish their testimony, the beast will be able to kill them. And as soon as they finish the work that God has given them to do, then God will say they're ready to die. And as soon as their work on earth will be done, then they will know that they're ready to die and God will release the beast, let him go to kill them. The beast will finally get to do what the beast has always wanted to do, kill them. And there's a tremendous joy in life for each person in finding the will of God for their life. And there's a tremendous satisfaction in life to following what God has for their life. And there's a tremendous fulfillment in life to finish the will of God. That's the joy, that's the satisfaction, that's the fulfillment that the millennials cannot find. And that's the joy, satisfaction, and fulfillment that Jesus knew on his life, in his life, when it says about him in Hebrews 12, 2, Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, set down at the right hand. That's the same joy, satisfaction, and fulfillment is what God wants us to find as we find, follow, and finish God's will for our lives. And this gives the proper perspective to all of our physical ailments and all of our illnesses that threaten our lives, which are like the beast in Revelation 11.7. The beast says, 11.7, I want to kill you, 
But God says, not until the work that I gave my child to do is finished. Like the beast of Revelation 11, 7, just like the beast, cancer says, I want to kill you. But God says, not until my child finishes the work I gave him to do. Like the beast, Revelation 11, 7, heart disease, diabetes, kidney failure, liver failure, COVID, pneumonia, you name it, old age. All are saying, I want to kill you. But God says to them all, not until my child finishes the work I gave him to do. And knowing that all the illnesses that we know about and all the illnesses we don't know about that we have, that they're being held back from killing us until we finish God's will for our lives, it takes the sting out of the suffering from those illnesses. I was speaking to my fellow aging cousin last week, and she asked me, what can you do to keep your ability to balance and not fall? And what can you do to keep your mind from failing and memory loss? And I said, nothing. And you could feel the sting of, oh no. But for the child of God, the sting is removed because the child of God realizes that life is a race. Life is a race to a finish line where the race is to find, follow, and finish the will of God. And the prize is God coming out at the finish there to greet the runner and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And in verse two, Christ is telling his disciples that in two days, he's going to be betrayed and crucified. He's telling them that in two days in the future that he will be killed. And since it's in the future, you would expect that Christ would have said in verse two, in two days there will be the feast of the Passover and the Son of Man will be betrayed and crucified. That's what you would have expected grammatically to Christ speak about the future things in the future tense of will be. But Christ does not use the future tense. Christ speaks in the present tense about future things. In verse two, verse two, you know that after two days is the feast of the Passover and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. Why? Why in verse two does Christ say in two days is the Passover and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified? Because he should have used the future tense. Why? Because Christ lives so much in the reality of his coming death. It was like it was happening to him right then. And that's the way we should live, with the fact of our death so real to us, it's like we're gonna die today. Most people, most people today, they just push the reality of their own death so far away. That'd be far from me. It's in the distant future. Well, death is gonna happen to some other guy, not me. But for the follower of Christ, death is the finish line of the race of doing the will of God. And the more we see that finish line, the more we'll work harder to finish the will of God. Just like the runner who runs that last bend in the track. And when he sees the finish line, the burst of adrenaline, adrenaline there, it, the sight of that finish line just causes him to have all this extra power and strength to run harder, harder, and finish well. 
Death is our finish line. And Christ kept his death so much in his sight that he spoke of his death, which was in the future, in the present tense, in verse two, not in the future tense. But actually, when Christ did say in verse two, the son of man is betrayed, he was also referring to what was happening right at that moment because one of his disciples who was listening to him right at that moment was Judas Iscariot. And at that moment, Judas Iscariot was betraying him, plotting and planning of how he was gonna get some money, extra money from betraying Christ. Judas Iscariot was a profiteer. He was always looking for opportunities to make a little money. Why not? I'm in the right place at the right time. Judas Iscariot was the made the treasurer who kept the bag of money for Christ and his disciples. And when Judas was made the treasurer, Judas thought, what a great opportunity. I can make a little bit of extra money here. Who knows if there happens to be a hole in the bag that I'm responsible to. And what do you know? It falls right into my pocket. John 12, 4, John 12, 4. Then saith one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, because he was a thief and held the bag and bare what was put therein. And in verse two, Christ is saying that I am right now being betrayed. At that moment, Judas was thinking, I got an opportunity here to make some money. Why not? What are all those chief priests that they need with all that money? They could share a little bit with me. I know they want to arrest Christ. They want to kill him, I don't care. They want to arrest Christ. They got a lot of money. I could get some of that money. For what, a little information? Piece of cake. And right at that moment, Judas was betraying Christ in his heart. And that's why Christ said in verse two, the son of man is being betrayed. The betrayal was all happening in the heart of Judas, in his unspoken thoughts. And Christ was seeing those thoughts play out in real time. And our thoughts are no different. We think, no one can see what I'm thinking. But God sees our thoughts play out in real time before him. And God says in Proverbs 24, 9, Proverbs 24, 9, the thought of foolishness is sin. And now Christ speaks of his death and he speaks about it as an integral part of the Passover. The Passover in verse two, verse two. You know that after two days is the feast of the Passover and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. And as he sees death, he sees his death, and he sees it woven into the fabric of the Passover. And he thinks, just like Israel was trapped in Egypt with no hope in Egypt as prisoners, they were under the complete, total domination over the Jewish people. There was no Haganah. There was no resistance group. There was no resistance fighters, nothing, hopeless. And he thinks to himself, Christ thinks to himself, just like that, people are trapped today with no hope of getting out of their own sin under the total domination of Satan. And so he sees the despair of man before the Passover, and he says, when it was all dark for Israel, when there was no hope, 
the ray of light came from heaven. And it was the form of one way, a way of escape. Only one way, but it was a sure way. It was gonna work. It was a way for Israel to escape the final judgment of death that would strike right into the heart with the firstborn of every family, the death of the firstborn. And as he thought about this, the one way out of the Passover, he thought of himself being the one way out for man to escape that final, ultimate death of being separated from God for eternity. And he thought of how he had expressed this one wayness already in John 14, 6, when Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by him. And as he thought about that Passover's one way out of death, he thought of that one way out of death, which was Leviticus 17.11, Leviticus 17.11. The life of the flesh is in the blood, God said, and I've given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it's the blood that makes an atonement for the soul. And he thought how the Passover's one way out of death was the blood, and the blood was the life, and how it was going to be his blood that was going to be his life that was gonna be given as the atonement for the souls of men. And he thought about his own blood, and he thought about his own life, and he thought about those words, Leviticus 17, 11, the life of the flesh is in the blood, the blood that makes an atonement for the soul. And as he further thought about the words in Leviticus 17, 11, I have given it to you, Leviticus 17, 11, I have given it to you, he thought about how he was given by God the Father to make that atonement for the soul. And he thought about how he already expressed this in John 3.16, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And as he thought about how the Passover lamb was killed and maybe, just maybe, he was imagining a Passover lamb looking up with those sweet eyes of trust into the family that had raised it and cared for it. And maybe, just maybe, he could have imagined that Passover lamb saying with those eyes to the family, you've been so good to me. I've only known you in my life. Now, if it must be that I must die so that you will not die, then I'm willing to become your Passover lamb. I'm ready to die for you. Maybe, just maybe, Christ saw himself at that moment in verse two saying, Matthew 20, 28, Matthew 20, 28, the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. In John 10, 17, John 10, 17, therefore doth my Father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me. I lay it down in myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. And as Christ thought about the death of the Passover lamb and the blood of the Passover lamb being applied to the doorposts of the house to protect the house from death, we can imagine him thinking to himself, that blood was so important. Because God said in Exodus 12, 13, in Exodus 12, 13, the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite 
the land of Egypt. And we can imagine Christ thinking to himself, it was only when God saw the blood that he passed over the house. And if God did not see the blood, then God did not pass over the house and death came to that house. Maybe he was thinking to himself, and now I am the Passover lamb. And it will only be when God sees my blood that God will pass over a person and eternal death will not come to that person. I will not let God down. We can imagine him saying, I will hear from God, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I will give my blood so that there can be atoning blood on the souls of people to guard them from eternal death. And we can imagine how Christ might have thought, but then there was a waiting time when the man of the house, the father of the house, he had to apply the blood of the Passover lamb on the door of the house. And that was a time when God asked the question, will he, will that man of the house apply the blood to his house or not? And that was the time when God said, I provided the blood for man, I've done it all, but not all, because I will not apply the blood to the door of that house. I've given him a free will. It's up to that man to apply the blood to his house or not. And this is the period that we are in right now today. We're in a waiting period when God is waiting to see what man's gonna do, what each person's gonna do. God has sent Christ into the world to be the Passover lamb. Christ has died on the cross as the Passover lamb. And we see in verse two, Christ decided not to walk away. Christ decided not to be, I don't care. He decided not to be a don't care person. He decided not to be I quit person. He decided not to be a quitter when the going got tough. But he decided in verse two to be the finisher of God's will and go through with and become the Passover lamb to take away the sin of the world. Now, the waiting period, it's up to man. Each person as to whether or not he'll take the blood of Christ as his Passover lamb and apply it to the door of his own heart and say to God, look, look, look here, God. I've taken Christ as my personal Passover lamb. Christ is my God, Christ is my savior. I'm hiding inside my heart and the blood of Christ is on the outside to protect me. And we can imagine God saying, yes, yes, I see the blood of Christ on your heart. I am passing over you. You will not die everlasting punishment. You will have eternal life because I see the blood. And this beautiful scene in the mind and heart of Christ is going on in the first two verses of chapter 26. But it's not the only scene that's going on in this section. There was also the scene of the thoughts of Judas, as we've mentioned, thinking of, hey, the money that I can make for just a little information to betray Christ? I'd be a fool to pass up that cash. And then there was also the scene of the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of the people, and they're holding also a high-level meeting in the palace of the chief priests. How are we gonna kill Jesus? And their concern was how they're gonna do it without causing a riot among the people because Jesus was so well-liked by all the people. 
And that brings to us the final scene of all the people. All the people who were so easily influenced and swayed, who had so few and real convictions. One moment they're hailing Christ as king, oh! Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. And the next moment they're swayed and they're saying, let him be crucified. But among all those scenes that are happening in these first five verses here, the most precious is the steadfast position of Christ as the Passover lamb. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for our great savior, Christ, in Jesus' name, amen. Tom Cantor's messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. For other free resources, email us at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. Join our live services on YouTube by searching Friendship with God with Tom Cantor every Sunday at 5.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.